of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said crucify him, he's to blame. He could have called, he could have called ten thousand angels to destroy the world, destroy the world and set him free. died alone, died alone for you and me. Upon his precious head they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, Behold your king. They struck him and they cursed him and mocked his holy name. All alone he suffered everything. He could have called, he could have called and angels to destroy the world, destroy the world and set him free. He could have called ten thousand angels, but he died alone, died alone for you. To the howling mob he yielded, he did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone. And when he cried, it's finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. He could have called, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, destroy the world and set him free. Ten thousand angels, but 
hadn't done that, we'd all go to hell forever. Ever thought about that? I remember the time my good friend evangelist Jerry Savinsky and I went out to visit door to door and uh, we were talking to some man and some man lived in a little mobile home someplace down outside of Pensacola, Florida and as we told him about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he was and what he came to do, he looked at us and he said, you will never convince me, never convince me that the, the dying of one man 2,000 years ago is going to make any difference in whether I go to heaven or hell. I've never forgotten that, thinking if you only knew, neither is there salvation in any other. The Bible says there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we what? We must be saved. There is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But if he had not died... There is no salvation, for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no remission of sins. In fact, I think that's in the message this morning. Let's get to it. Boys and girls, if you're four years old through fourth grade, you can head out to Children's Church. That's a lot of children, and four of them are out of town that I know of. That was nice. She must love you. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter 23 this morning. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Show you all you want to look at Emily as she goes out with her crutch and her brace. I said, Emily, whatever happened? This is this feminine, charming, sweet, quiet Emily, okay? I said, what did you do? Did Andrew kick you? She said, no, Pastor, it was Taekwondo. <laughs> I said, do you see my wife doesn't take Taekwondo? Okay. By the way, I always say this. When somebody tells me they take Taekwondo, I just say the same thing. I say, you know, I, I think that might be fun for some. But um, if I took Taekwondo, if I did, if I was a green belt, black belt, yellow boat, or whatever these belts are, you know, whatever. And I spent all that time and all that money and did all that work. I would just go in the worst part of town and try to encourage somebody to mug me so I could just use it one time. I mean, I can't see spending all those nights, all that practice time, all that effort, all that getting kicked around and beat around and beating on a few people and all that money and all that effort and all that energy and all that stuff and then never get to use it. I'd want to use it. So I'd go someplace and egg somebody on, you know, so just one time I could get my money's worth I'm, I'm Bonnie, I'm glad you're not walking down the aisle with a, a crutch and a whatever. It has nothing to do with the message, okay? I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, know that Palm Sunday, today, Palm Sunday, that's the day that we celebrate. Uh, to, when we think about the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth, we call that week Passion Week. 
And I was thinking as I was working, as I began to prepare, prepare the message, I thought, you know, for, for like 32 years as a pastor here, I probably have every Palm Sunday, if not every single one, almost every Sunday, as I've preached a message on Sunday morning, on Palm Sunday, as far as I can tell, as far as I can remember, the text has always come from one of those Palm Sunday passages, or perhaps the, the um, prophecy of that back in Zechariah. I, I think it's always been on something that happened as they actually uh, prepared for and wrote, wrote into Jerusalem. And I got thinking, you know, that really is the beginning of Passion Week and all that happened during that week. Maybe I ought to prepare a, a message on something to do with something that happened during that week. Palm Sunday was just the beginning of a, of a wild week indeed, if I could use that phrase, in the life of our Lord. What a busy week it was. And I got thinking, you know, I ought to preach on something that happened during that week. So I just kind of scanned through the end of the gospel books there. And I, just some things I thought about. Well, this would make a good message. And I'd read a little bit more. I said, well, that'd make a good message. I thought about some of these things. About Jesus purifying the temple. He did that when he began his earthly ministry. Now he does it again right at the end of his earthly ministry. He purifies the temple. That's a message in itself. Thought about Jesus healing many people of many diseases. About Jesus preaching messages both to the common people and also religious leaders. I thought of various, various individuals. This is so interesting. This is fascinating. The last week on Jesus of Jesus' life on this earth, I mean, so many individuals and all these different groups of Jews. Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, I mean, lawyers. I mean, one after another, they're all coming to Jesus and they're, they're, they're asking him, Questions that they hope will, 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 he'll say something to trap himself and they can get him killed. Put, put him to the test. Make him do something else. Say something else that is deserving of death. Thought about Jesus teaching his disciples some very important things as he was preparing them for his departure. I thought about Jesus being betrayed by one of his disciples for 30 pieces of silver, being denied three times but another disciple after he had said, I will, I will die with him, I will never forsake him. And then we read of Jesus Christ being forsaken by all of his disciples. Thought about Jesus being arrested in the garden of Jesus being tried both by religious and political leaders. Being beaten, being condemned to die. I thought of Jesus uh, bearing his cross up to Mount Calvary. Being ridiculed and mocked and finally nailed to the old rugged cross where, where he would die for the sins of the world. And I thought about his body being taken down from the cross and buried because he truly did die. Don't let anybody tell you he just went into some kind of, he was in a coma or something and they buried him and then the, and then the, cool, uh, the cool air kind of revived him. They call that swoon theory. Do not, don't believe the swoon theory. They, those who were in charge that day, they knew very well that Jesus Christ was dead. They buried a dead body. And I thought, what a week, Passion Week. Then as I continued to think through, what am I, I going to preach? And I thought, you know, because we don't have services here on Good Friday, I've never preached on the seven sayings of Christ. Never one time. I mean, I may have preached on some of those in, in messages. I don't even remember that. But as far as ever having a, a message focusing on the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, uh, I, don't, I know I've never done that. By the way, uh, seven sayings, but they're not found in any particular uh, gospel book as far as you, you can't go to Matthew and read all seven or Mark, Luke, John. You, know, you won't find all seven in one book. You have, to, you have to read all four gospels to get those seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Well, here are the things that are recorded that he said, and this is the order in which he said them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Shortly after that, he said to a thief who was crucified with him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
And as he looked down from the cross, he saw his mother and, and some other ladies there and a couple of disciples. And he said to his mother, he said, woman, behold thy son. And then to John, he said, behold thy mother. His next saying on the cross was a, a question. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Followed by, I thirst. And then it is finished. And finally, just before he died, he was fully in control. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I thought the seven sayings of Christ. What I ought to do is preach two messages on these seven sayings. I'll preach three or four this morning and I'll preach the other three or four tonight. Now, Joy, see, she's already smiling. Some of you are already smiling. I'll preach three or four this morning. I'll preach three or four tonight. I thought that's a good plan. I'll do that. And, I, and, I'm, and then I said, I won't preach them in order. I'll just, I'll just start at the beginning and see how far we go. So I started working on the first saying on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I studied on that for a little while, kept studying, and it wasn't long. And I thought, you know what? You've got, you've got too much on one saying you're going to have to delete part of it to get it all in one message. Now I know you're really smiling, okay? It's like, how are you going to get in your seven sayings and two messages and you've got so much on the very first saying that you're going to have to delete so you can get two or three more? And I said, this is not so much for seven sayings and two messages. So what I felt led to do was bring one message this morning, obviously one message. If you'd stay, I'll preach you two if you want to stay, okay? But one message this morning on the first saying on the cross and then I've chosen one of the other sayings to bring the message tonight, and that's the second to the last saying on it is finished. So this morning, the first saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then tonight, the Lord willing, it is finished. Would you take your Bibles, please? You're already there, I think, in Luke 20, chapter 23. I want to read this morning verses 32 through 38. Verses 32 through 38. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Behold, People stood beholding, excuse me, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Did you notice the little saying there, saying if you have a, obviously your Bible's probably in red letters here, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This was a, this was something that was prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, speaking of Christ on the cross, Isaiah said these words, He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. And that last phrase was prophecy about this saying of Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sins of many 
And then he made intercession for the transgressors. So who did Jesus have in mind, especially as he prayed these words? Did he have mainly the Jews in mind? I mean, they were the ones who were behind his death. They were the ones who continually demanded his death. They're the ones, they were the ones who were committed. There was no turning back. It didn't matter. Whatever happened, they would get what they wanted. This Jesus, this blaspheming Jesus, he would be killed. He would be crucified. And in their minds, there was nothing that was going to stop them. Was it the Jews, especially the religious leaders, that Jesus had in mind when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Or was it the Gentiles, the Romans, those who actually carried out the crucifixion, the Jews pushed for it. The Jews demanded it. When Pilate would say over and over again, at least four times, I find in him no fault at all. And they kept crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Is that, are those many of the people Jesus had in mind? Or the Romans, the soldiers who just did what they were told to do. They, they, they carried out the crucifixion. I believe he had both in mind. What does the word forgive mean? The word forgive in the Bible means really simply means to send off or to send away. The idea is really separating sin from the sinner and sending it away so that it will never be remembered again. What did the psalmist say about God? He said, he, he has, he's so long, he's so merciful. He, he, he forgives our sins and sends them away as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And the idea of, of the New Testament word of forgiveness is to send off or to send away, to separate sin from the sinner. And when we think about that, the sins of those for whom Jesus Christ was praying that day, they could never have been forgiven if Jesus did not die. We will mention that again later toward the end of the message. That is so important. Remember, here's Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he wouldn't have prayed that prayer, if God had not forgiven, if God had stopped everything, if Jesus would have said, if Jesus would have instead said, said, Father, condemn them. Father, kill them. Father, destroy them, as we just sang. And he calls angels and said, free me. If Jesus would have been freed, there would never have been forgiveness for these people nor anybody else. Amen. Remember Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or there's no forgiveness of sins. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In order for God to answer that prayer, the Heavenly Father, He has to forgive. And He says, without forgiveness, there's no, without the shedding of blood, there's never forgiveness, there's no remission of sins. Hebrews, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In whom Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption. Through his blood, the what? The forgiveness of sins. It's all because of the blood of Christ. When we read these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is there somebody else in the Bible that you think about who prayed something similar to that? Just before he died, he prayed for those who killed him. What was his name? Stephen, and that we won't turn there, Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is being stoned to death. His last words before he died... Where, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. So a couple of questions this morning as we look at this text. 
First of all, and I think the most obvious question would be this. Why did Jesus plead for forgiveness for those who crucified him? Why did he do that? Well, he tells us in his prayer. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? He says, for they know not what they do. If we say a person doesn't know what he's doing, we could simply say, you know, he's, he's ignorant. He doesn't know what he's doing. Ignorant. He's without knowledge. In the Bible term, he's, he's foolish. He's moronic. He's, he's not thinking right, as we brother Tillman and Sunday's this morning. He's, he's, he's insane. He's beside himself. He, he, he doesn't understand things. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. They're foolish, but they don't know it. Well, think about the Jews. The Jews hated Jesus Christ, as I've already mentioned. They wanted him crucified. They were very serious. They believed that they were right. In fact, Jesus said one time to his disciples, just before he died, he said, the, the time is coming when those who, who persecute you and kill you, they, were think, they will think they're doing God's service. It wasn't that they weren't thinking right as far as being sincere. They were very sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Because they didn't know two things. They were ignorant of two things. Number one, they were ignorant of the fact that Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Son of God. They really could not figure that out. As far as they were concerned, he was this son of a carpenter from Nazareth up there. And he, they knew his mother Mary. They knew his brothers and sisters. And he, he was really no different than anybody else. In fact, they came to the place where they said, you know, we can't deny all these miracles he does. But we know where he's getting his power. He's demon-possessed. He's getting his power from Satan. They absolutely would not believe that he was God in human flesh. And then secondly, they did not believe that he was the Savior. They had no idea that the one that they hated, the one that they rejected, was the promised Messiah who would come to earth and die for their sins. He would be Savior, God as Savior, the Lord as Savior. They had no idea he would die for their sins and for the sins of the world. They had no idea that he would be buried and he would be raised again the third day. He would ascend back to heaven. No, they had no clue who he was or, or why he was here. Absolutely, totally ignorant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, God says that the rulers, if the rulers, he says if the rulers have the wisdom of God, Instead of the wisdom of man and the wisdom of the world, he said, here's the words. He said, God says, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. Some of you are writing down notes. That's a good verse to write down. These men lacked the wisdom of God. These men lacked the wisdom of God to the extent the only wisdom they had was their own wisdom. It's called in that whole passage, it's called the wisdom of man, and it's also called the wisdom of the world. They had plenty of the wisdom of man. They had plenty of the wisdom of the world, but they didn't have the wisdom of God. And God says, if they would have had that wisdom, he said, you would not, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, go to Acts chapter 3. Go to Acts chapter 3 for just a moment. Let's see something that Peter is preaching shortly after the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3. Follow along as I read verses 12 through 17. What are we preaching now? What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They are totally, totally ignorant. Peter preaching to the Jews. 
says in verse 12, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look you so honestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? They had just performed a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. They, they made a, a man who was lame from his birth. They, 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 they made him walk. And the people were just, they ran together greatly wondering, verse 11. And Peter, when he saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? As, or why, you look so, why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? It's not our power, it's not our holiness. He says, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you even desired a murder to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, the name of Jesus, through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him a perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And look at verse 17. He says, and now, brethren, I watch, or I know that through, next word, please, out loud. I know that through, now, brethren, brethren, Jewish brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. He said, you did all that. You were sincere, but you were sincerely wrong. You did it through ignorance. You and your rulers. And all oh, that reminds us, Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Paul preached the same thing. We won't go there. I'll quote it for you. I'll read it for you. Acts chapter 13, verse 27. Now Paul is preaching, and listen to what he says. He says, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning them. What's he saying? Totally ignorant. I wrote, not this Bible, the Bible I used for years and years and years. I wrote in the margin one of the saddest verses in the Bible. To me, that's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Where Paul says to these people, or he speaks about the Jews, the, the, people of, the people of God, God's chosen people living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus when he was crucified. He said, they that dwell in Jerusalem and the ruins. He says, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. They have literally fulfilled them in condemning. What's he saying? Total ignorant. And how sad, because in our terminology, they went to church every Sunday. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they're in a synagogue. They're in the temple. They're hearing the word of God. They're hearing the Old Testament scriptures. In fact, many of them had a lot of them memorized. And he said, they actually literally fulfilled the scriptures because they didn't understand what they heard. What's that? Ignorance. And Jesus has these people in mind. And he says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Paul gives his testimony when he writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Listen to this. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But he says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Just think about that for a while. Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, hating Jesus Christ, 
absolutely convinced he was a blasphemer. Absolutely believing that Jesus got exactly what he deserved. He deserved to die for claiming to be God. And he's going out killing Christians by the hundreds, perhaps thousands. Trying to gather up Christians and get them to, to deny, to blaspheme this name of Jesus or die. And they died. Who knows how many. And that's, the Bible says in Acts 9, saw yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to Damascus. You know, Jerusalem's not enough. and that are, He goes to Damascus. And he gets letters there to see if he can find any more followers. He can bring them bound to Jerusalem. Men, women, it didn't make any difference. He said, I lived in all clear conscience before God. I was doing what I thought was right to do. Serving my God, serving Jehovah God, the God of my fathers. One day, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, saved me on the road to Damascus. God not only saved me by his grace and mercy and long-suffering, he called me into his ministry and made me a preacher, made me an evangelist, made me a missionary, a church planter. Why would God ever do that? He said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's characteristic of the Jews. Paul brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, the most brilliant teacher of that day. Totally wrong in what he believed until he met Christ. What about the Gentiles? As I said earlier, they simply did what they were told to do. They were simply doing their job. They were just like the Jews. These men that didn't, were in charge of all the crucifixion stuff and did all the work, they had no idea who it was. They had no idea who this man was and why he came to earth, where he came from. Just read the Gospel of John and over and over again, Jesus said, I was sent from my Father. I was, I, I was sent from heaven. I came from heaven, and when I finished the work that he's called me to do, I'm going back to him. I'm the living bread. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm all these things because I'm God in human flesh, and I've come to be the Savior of the world. Gentiles didn't know that message. They didn't even have the Old Testament scriptures. So let me ask you another question this morning. Not only why did Jesus pray this prayer, and the answer is because he knew they were totally ignorant. Did this prayer Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, did it get answered? You ever think about that? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did Jesus' prayer get answered? When I asked that question, did the prayer that Jesus prayed here get answered? The first word that comes to my mind, that comes out of my mouth, has got to be the word absolutely. You say, well, now, how could you be so dogmatic about that? How could it be that obvious that the prayer of Jesus here actually got answered? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say, that prayer was answered? Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. Can you imagine any prayer that Jesus ever prayed that wouldn't get answered? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ praying something to his heavenly father that never got answered? That prayer was answered, and every prayer that Jesus ever prayed was answered. And every prayer that Jesus, this is encouraging, every prayer that Jesus prays today is being answered. And he, he ever lives to make intercession for us believers. That's an encouraging word, is it not? Of course he answered this prayer. He, God the Father answered his prayer. It doesn't mean that everyone for whom he prayed for forgiveness was saved right there on the spot. Father, 
forgive them, for they know not what they do. And before the day was over, God answered that prayer. And all the people that were involved in this, they all got saved that day. It does not mean that. Number two, it does not mean that everyone there for whom Jesus prayed was saved from their sins became a Christian before they died. It does not mean that. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's not a matter of, God, forgive the sins of all these people that are part of this and have no, they're doing this in ignorance. But Father, you know them and you know all their sins, you know their unbelief. And, and I pray that before they die, that you will forgive all their sins and give them eternal life and, and be their savior. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what this is all about. It does mean everyone for whom Jesus prayed that day, listen now, was totally, absolutely forgiven for whatever part he played in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There were all kinds of people who through something they said, the attitude of their heart that led to actions, and all kinds of people who actually had part in decisions and in actions, and Jesus has all of them in mind. He says, Father, forgive them of what they're doing. Forgive them for the part that they're having in this because they don't know what they're doing. The way of salvation is being opened in what Jesus is doing. And any, listen, anyone and everyone there, who no matter what part they had in his crucifixion, they all would have the opportunity to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ and to either receive him, put their trust in him, or to reject them. They would have that opportunity. They could be saved, and they would be saved if they would put their trust in the one that they had a part in his crucifixion. But what they did, think about the, I thought, what about the men who actually took those hammers and, 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 and struck that, those nails and nailed Jesus' hands, and nailed his feet? I mean, how would you like to have that be your job for anybody who's being crucified? And you don't know who this man is. As far as you're concerned, he's just another rebel Jew deserving what he got, obviously. And it's your job to nail him to the cross. You don't know who he is. You don't know what, why he's come to earth. But that's your job. You nail him to the cross. I can't imagine what that would be like. To nail somebody's hands, nail somebody's feet to the cross. And then to have that person be God himself in human flesh dying for the sins of the world, who's going to rise again three days later. To do that nailing in total ignorance and then to have Jesus say, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. And God could overlook, God could put aside, God could put away all the words all the actions, everything that was done that was a part of his crucifixion. And God, because the one who died that day, his son, could grant forgiveness to them if they would hear the truth of who he is and what he came to do and they would choose to believe. That's a marvelous, wonderful truth. Some of those people might have been saved right then or shortly thereafter. Is there somebody the Bible says we have to believe actually became a Christian that very day? I believe it's the centurion. Where do we have it? Twice. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. The centurion, who was in charge of the crucifixion, said these words. Truly, this man was the son of God. How did he come to that conclusion? 
Why would he say that? After observing him and listening to him, he says, truly, this man was the son of God, Mark 15, 39. Luke says in Luke 23, 47, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And as I read that, truly this man was the son of God. Surely this was a righteous man. I remembered one day, Jesus said to his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man, have? And the Bible said, some said, well, you're, some say you're uh, John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, well, well, whom do you say that I am? What about you? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed that to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What about the man, one of the thieves that was crucified with Jesus? That's in recording the Bible. What did Jesus say to him? One of the seven sayings on the cross. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why would Jesus say to this dying thief right next to him on the cross, why would he say, today thou shalt be with me in paradise? Because one of the thieves said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, I don't know who you are, but if you are the son of God, save yourself and save us too. The other thief looks at him and he says, why are you talking like that? What a foolish, terrible thing to say. We indeed justly, we are getting exactly what we deserve. We are rebels, we are murderers, we are thieves, we are wicked sinners. But this man, and he points to you, he says, point you, for this, he says, this man, Jesus, he hath done nothing amiss. Really? How did he figure that out? We're not innocent, we're guilty, we deserve to die. This man doesn't deserve to die. He hasn't done anything wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and says these words. Lord, that's key, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. How in the world is he praying that? Because he knows death is not the end of him. And it's not the end of him either. He said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, because I know you're, you're going to rise again and come into your kingdom. Lord, God, would you please just remember me, a sinful man. That's how anybody gets saved, by the way. You repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ who he is and what he came to do. And then Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now listen, if that thief was saved because of what he professed, and that centurion was saved because of what he professed, excuse me, and Peter was saved because of his profession, I have to believe that that centurion that day trusted Jesus Christ. I believe that. Surely there were some who were saved right after that. How about the day of Pentecost? The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. I have to believe some of those were people who had something to do with this crucifixion. In fact, let's go to Acts. Are you still in Acts in your Bible? I'm still in Acts. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at, look at verse 41. This is after Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them was about how many, folks? 
5,000. One more verse. Go to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Look at verse 7. And the word of God increased. Don't miss this now. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Don't miss this now. And a great company of, out loud please, the priests were obedient to the faith. This is just a few days really after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have to believe a great number of priests were obedient to the faith. Who knows what they said that had a part in Jesus dying that day. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They are totally ignorant. And oh, how many of these people were one day forgiven, not just of the act of crucifying Christ, but they were forgiven of all of their sins. I love Acts 10.43. Peter's preaching to Cornelius and he says this. To him, Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Paul, preaching in Acts chapter 13, verses, I think, 38 and 39, says regarding Jesus Christ, and reference Jesus Christ, he says, by this man, he says, all that believe, oh, he says, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Justified, redeemed, forgiven of their sins. How? By believing in Jesus Christ because they heard the gospel of Christ and they received and were saved. We have no idea how many of these people all through the book of Acts, whether Jew or Gentile, had heard of Christ and how many were even alive when he was being crucified and may have even had a part in that, especially these Jewish people. But by the way, Lest we put so much focus on the people then, we forget about ourselves because they weren't the only ones responsible for Jesus dying. You ever thought about this? Jesus died for, you want to finish it? He died for our sins. Our sins put him there. You ever think about that? We had a part in Jesus' crucifixion 2,000 years ago, not because we were there. We didn't say anything, we didn't do anything, we weren't there. All of us, we know, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Jesus Christ died upon the cross for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah said. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 2.24 regarding Jesus, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. Listen, we all put Jesus Christ on the cross and there's a lot of songs written about that. The fact that it was our sins. Put him there. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I think about you today. Think about me today. Think about us today. Does this mean then that everybody who is totally ignorant of Jesus is all going to be saved one day? Those who have never heard, they've never had an opportunity, they're ignorant. They've never had an opportunity to hear the plan of salvation. If they heard, they, they, their eyes were blind, they couldn't figure it out, they couldn't see it. The message is being proclaimed. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's a wonderful thought that we can be totally ignorant. We can, be, we can live to be five years old, seven years old, nine years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, or 40 or 50 or 70 or 90 or whatever else. And for whatever reason, be totally ignorant of who is Jesus Christ and why did he come to this earth. And God in his mercy and grace, being long-suffering, can through the ministry of a local church preaching, an evangelistic crusade someplace, or a gospel tract that's handed out at Walmart, or a Christian radio broadcaster, television broadcaster, a Christian film, or a Christian friend who just talks to somebody one-on-one, he can say, if you died today, where would you go? Do you believe there's a heaven, there's a hell? Do you believe there's life after death? If you died today, where would you go? Could I show you in God's word how you can have all of your sins forgiven? You can receive the gift of everlasting life. You can be born again. You can become a Christian. You can be saved. God will forgive all your sins. He will give you everlasting life. Could I just share with you God's plan for you being saved? And in five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or a half an hour or an hour or maybe over a period of several days or weeks, Your eyes are open spiritually and you receive Christ as your personal Savior. That is what, that's what the cross is all about. That's what this whole story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's what Passion Week is all about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, God's eternal Son, being born of a virgin so he had no sin in his birth. He was virgin born. He was born without sin. He lives a sinless life with no wrong thoughts, no wrong words, no wrong deeds, no wrong motives, no wrong attitude, nothing wrong, sinless. And one day he hangs upon a cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And soon after that, he bows his head. He dies. Don't ever forget, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's anybody, whosoever believes, whoever puts his trust in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That really is so simple. And we ought to thank God for that. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't change something to get that. I mean, it's, it's for by grace are ye saved, the Bible says, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, well, what do I, how much do I have to give her? Or what do I have to change? Or how, how, what can I join? Or, or what, what can I change about my attitude? Or you know, how can I take this back or fix this up? No, God says, no, only believe. Only trust. Repent and believe the gospel. I'm so thankful that when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He did not do as mankind would do. If we were treated like that, we would would seek revenge, we would retaliate, we would fight back, and yet as we sang this morning by and I, he could have called 10, he could have called one, a million. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he chose to die because without his death, There is no 
salvation. Bow your heads, please, if you would. What does the Lord mean to you? If you died today, do you know where you would go? The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment, we will live someplace forever. Heaven or hell. And God says, it all comes down to one question. What will I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Will I accept him? Will I trust him? The Bible word is believe. Believe? Yeah, just believe. But it doesn't just mean to believe some facts, accept as true. The word believe means to have faith in or with respect to. To put trust in. Or to rest in. Or to put your confidence in. Or finally, listen, to rely upon. So upon whom are you relying right now? Where is your trust right now? You say, well, I've been a, I've been a, good, I've been a better person than a bad person. Or you say, well, you know, I've always grown up in church. My dad and mom are really good people, you know, and they read the Bible at our house. And, and when I do go to church, I usually put a little something in the offering plate. And I even joined a church one time, and I got baptized, you know, and, and a lot of things changed in my life, you know. And it's like, okay, is that what you're trusting in, something that you've joined or something that you've done or something that you've given, something you've changed? No, that, that's, that's not going to work. No, no, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is by believing, trusting, putting your confidence in, relying upon totally. And you say, I am saved because of who Jesus Christ is, why he came to this earth, what he did. And I know that that's all that God expects for salvation. And he is my savior. I put my trust in him. Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for this passage of scripture. And we think of our Lord hanging upon that cross and all the shame and agony. What he went through, we, we can't comprehend, Father. We, we have no idea. We just have some things that he said that surely revealed to us his heart, your heart, because you've said you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I pray today if there's somebody here in our service that's never, never been saved, that even today will be the day that in their heart they will ask Jesus to be their personal Savior and believe that he will as they ask. They will trust in the living Lord Jesus Christ, receive him, putting their trust in him, their full confidence in him, knowing that you said whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, this morning?